The reading tonight is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he, was, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, the minist of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head in, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, Uni Church. It is oh, it's very loud. How are we now? That's a bit better. Good evening. It is so great to be back with you. Um, Jody and I were lucky enough to go on a bit of a holiday uh, for the last three weeks, and we've really, really missed uh, being with you all, and it is just so great to be back. Uh, as Trevor said last week, if you were here, if you're tuning in online, or you're with us in person, we're taking a little break from our series on Acts, and we're taking a sort of three-week, doing a little three-week series on what church is about, what the essential characteristics of the church ought to be. We're doing this for a number of reasons. We're doing it for our current members uh, to remind them what the Bible says church should be like. We're doing it for our leaders to remind them what the Bible says the church should be like. We're doing it for ourselves, Trevor and I, to remind ourselves again what the Bible says church should look like. And it's a good time to do it as we launch into a new academic year. Maybe you're with us this evening uh, in person, uh, in the overflow room or online, and you're looking for a new church. Well, these three weeks are for you too. We want to show you what the Bible says church should be like, and we want to show you how we here at Uni Church are trying to align ourselves with what the Bible says. Last week, Trevor took us through 2 Timothy, and he showed us that the Bible is the place where God's power is located. And that's why the Bible is central to everything we do here at Uni Church, from our Sunday gatherings, our weekly growth groups, our one-to-one -one Bible studies, all centered around the Bible, because the Bible is where God's power is located. And so, if you have just turned your Bible off or closed your Bible after Jordan read for us, please open it up, turn it on again, because that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we used to have Bibles in the pews for everyone, uh, but with the current pandemic, we can't have things that people are touching all the time. So, 
please do bring your Bible to church with you each week. That'll be a big help to you and a big help to me or Trevor as we preach through it. This week, we're going to be thinking about ministry. We're going to see from the Bible what ministry is. We're going to see who the ministers of the church ought to be. And we're going to see why ministry matters. We're thinking about ministry, what ministry is, who the ministers are, and why ministry matters. And I've got to be honest, as I looked through this passage this week, I found some of my own thinking about ministry challenged and corrected, because what we find in the Bible about ministry is so different to what so many of us think about ministry. And I hope that by the end of this evening, you'll find yourself both challenged and encouraged by what the Bible has to say, as the Bible corrects your thinking, just like it corrected mine. So let's pray together as we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we sit under your Word again this evening, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, teach us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I said we were going to start by thinking about what ministry is, but I'm actually going to talk about who the ministers are first, because that'll help us see what ministry is more clearly. So we're going to think first about who the ministers of the church are. Most of us think, don't we, that the ministers are the people at the front. The pastors are the ministers. They're the one who do the ministry. One famous Christian writer, uh, who he is dead now, a guy called John Stott, you might have heard of him, said that most people think of church a bit like a bus, and the minister is the driver of the bus. He's up at the front steering, steering the vehicle, and the church, the, the members of the church, well, they're in the back of the bus. They might have their seatbelts on. They're certainly going where the bus driver is going, but he's the one doing all of the action. He's keeping them safe on the road. He's taking them where he wants them to go, and they're sort of along for the ride. But is that how the Bible describes ministers? Let's look at what our passage says. Look at verse 11 of the reading of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time in the second half of this reading, from sort of 11 down to 16. So keep your eyes around there. Verse 11 says this, And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. According to this passage, ministry is the job of the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are not people on stained glass windows. We don't have stained glass windows at the side, and there's no saints on them. That's good. Saints are not famous dead Christians. Saints are just Christians. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. The word saint uh, literally means the holy ones. And according to the Bible, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus for your forgiveness, you've been made holy in God's sight. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you are a saint. The word saint just means the holy ones, those set apart, different to the world around them. We think that saints are really, really good people, people who are memorialized by the church, as, as I said, put on a stained glass window. But the Bible says saints are just people, all people, 
who follow the Lord Jesus. In the New Testament, the word saint is used lots and lots of times, and it only ever refers to living Christians. Ministry, then, according to this passage, is for the saints. The saints are the ones who do the ministry, and the saints are all Christians. So, who are the ministers of the church? Well, if you're a Christian, you are the minister of the church. You are the ministers of Uni Church. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of Uni Church, you are the Uni Church ministers. I'm a pastor of Uni Church, but you guys are the ministers. Unfortunately, we've turned the word minister into some sort of high position that only applies to a few people. But according to the Bible, every Christian is a minister. Only some Christians are pastor teachers, that's true, but every Christian is a minister. And it's the job of the pastor teacher, according to this passage, to equip the Christians to be ministers. Maybe you've learned two things just now. Maybe you've just learned that you're a saint. You can go home and tell your mom, mom, it turns out I'm a saint if you're a Christian. Mom, it turns out I'm a minister. That's, if you're a Christian, that is absolutely true. That is what the Bible says. You're a saint and you're a minister if you're trusting in Jesus. And so as ministers, maybe this is news to you, you've just discovered you're a minister. The question is, what is ministry? What do I have to do as a minister for Jesus? What does ministry look like? Well, again, that passage spells it out for us. The word ministry simply means service, serving others. Minister equals servant, really. So you're a minister, you're a servant. Some of your Bible translations might actually have the word servant or service there. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a servant who serves others and is served by others. They don't serve the pastor. They don't serve the denomination. They serve each other. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Christians are ministers who serve each other so that the body of Christ can be built up, united in faith and growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. Remember we said some people think of church a bit like a bus with the bus driver at the front and the people in the back. Paul says the church isn't like a bus. Not that there were buses in the first century. Paul says the church is like a body and the members are parts of that body. Now, like all bodies, some parts of the body are more easily seen than others. Some parts perform tasks more obvious than others. But every part is essential. Every part has a role to play. I want you to notice as well that it's not that the pastors are the head of the body, declaring where the body goes and what the body does. Jesus is the head of the body. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are all members of Jesus' body, working together, serving together under the head, Jesus. 
There are lots and lots of ways uh, that we serve each other here at Uni Church, even maybe especially in these strange days of coronavirus. I have been amazed at watching at how all of our different members serve each other. But in this passage, Paul only picks out two ways that Christian ministers, Christian, the congregation, serve each other. The first way that Christians, ministers, serve each other is in their attitude to each other. Go back up to the top of that passage, uh, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is absolutely impossible for a group this size, a group half this size, a group a quarter of this size, to get to know each other well without some friction emerging. All Christians are saints, but the word saint doesn't mean a perfect person. The word saint just means set apart. No Christian is perfect yet. And so, as we come together, there's going to be friction. There's going to be fallings out. There's going to be annoyances. One way that we as ministers can serve each other is to be quick to say sorry when we upset someone. Another way that we can serve each other is to be quick to forgive the other person when they upset us. Because let me tell you, both things will happen. We are all likely to hurt someone with careless words, careless actions, and we are all likely to be hurt by someone's careless words and careless actions. That's why Paul tells the Christians to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. You don't have to bear with someone if there's no tension there, if there's no problems that could potentially arise. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity. When someone wrongs you, when someone upsets you, Paul says your first response should be eagerness to maintain unity and peace. That is not easy. He calls it the work of ministry. This is hard work. But the church is a body, and a body needs to work with its members to get on well, to grow, to progress, to mature. You've probably heard that expression, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Well, don't cut yourself off from the body because someone's wronged you. Don't cut someone else out of the body if they have wronged you. We're a body, and we need to work together. And we serve one another by being humble, gentle, quick to repent, quick to forgive, eager to maintain the unity of peace. That's the first way we can serve each other in our attitudes towards each other. And the second way that Paul highlights is how we speak to each other and, how we, and what we speak about. Look at verse 12 again. 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, this is our our key verse, obviously, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then down to verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We serve each other by speaking to each other increasing our knowledge of the Son of God, speaking the truth in love to one another as we grow in Christ. It's always been hard during a regular church service to speak to one another, to speak the truth in love to one another. And that's why before the pandemic struck, we really encourage you to hang around for as long as possible to speak to one another. That's your job as ministers. It's even harder now, isn't it? We have to leave the premises quickly. We have to wear masks, and it's really hard to talk to people. So we're going to have to be creative if we're going to fulfill our job of being ministers, the job that we're all called to. Did you notice Paul used that calling word in verse 1? That's one reason why being a part of a growth group is so important so that you can grow and encourage others to grow. Wasn't it great to hear how much Laura benefited? And I know of the benefit she has been to others in that group. That's why we call them growth groups, by the way. We don't call them home groups. We don't call them community groups. We call them growth groups because that's where you grow into Christ. In these strange days, it's harder than ever to minister to one another by speaking to each other, speaking the truth in love. But that's what we have been called to do. I know that some of you are meeting up regularly to read the Bible together. That is just fantastic. What a fantastic way to serve each other, ministering to each other. It's beautiful stuff. And as the lockdown tightens again in Belfast tomorrow, we're going to have to be creative. Wouldn't it be fantastic to walk into one of the 1,500 coffee shops within a mile and a half of this location and see uni church members serving each other, reading the Bible together, ministering to each other, of course, in a safe way. While we're thinking about service, even though Paul doesn't mention this sort of service in this passage, I think it's appropriate to recognize all of the other ways that our members, our ministers, serve us. We have congregation ministers coming in every week to clean the church. We've got our audiovisual team working behind the scenes so that you guys in the overflow and you guys online can join us here. We have our stewarding teams who graciously, patiently help us follow the safety measures uh, that we have in place. When we were able to have tea and coffee, we had people generously donating lots and lots of food and time and energy so that we could gather together and eat and talk. We have our life course hosts who organize, cater for, and welcome those who come to the course. We have our growth group leaders who pray and study the Bible so that we can speak the truth and love to one another. And then we've got our leadership team who oversee all of this wonderful service so that we can minister to each other. That's just some of the ways that people are serving this church, some of the ways that maybe you could serve this church in the future. If you'd like to do that, you could fill out a little welcome to church card and leave it in the comments section, um, letting us know if you'd like to be involved in any of those things. Every Christian 
is a minister. And ministry is service, working together, which happens when, in the way that we speak to each other and in the attitudes we have towards each other. Finally, we're going to think about why all of this matters. Why do the hard work of bearing with one another in love, of speaking the truth in love, why do we do it? Well, if you've been following along in your Bibles and, and listening to what Paul says, you've maybe seen why all this matters already. Again, back to verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What does it mean to build up the body of Christ? You'll know, many of you, that through summer, uh, we looked through the book of Acts, and there we saw the church growing. The church was growing out as more and more people became Christians, and it was growing up as it grew in its knowledge and its maturity. It seems here that Paul isn't talking about growing out. He's talking about growing up, growing up into maturity. That's the word he uses in verse 13. This maturity is marked by unity and knowledge in the Son of God. And all this leads to maturity. And did you notice that strange little phrase that Paul uses in verse 15? Look at it again. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Growing up into the head. What on earth does that mean? We don't grow up into our heads. I suppose babies' heads are much bigger than their bodies, and in a sense, they, they sort of grow into their heads, but I don't think that's what Paul is talking about. Uh, this is one of those instances where you can really see the downside of jumping into the middle of a Bible book without having a looking at what comes before. We're in chapter 4 of Ephesians, so there's three chapters that we've missed. And in those three chapters, I'll give you a very quick summary. In those three chapters, Paul outlines what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now, normally, when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross, we think about it and we talk about it individually. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for all of the ways that we've disobeyed God, all the ways we've failed to love God and to love our neighbor, and by taking that punishment, Jesus opens the door to heaven to us. We usually think about it individually, and the Bible does that too. But in Ephesians, Paul spells out in great detail, not simply the individual effects of Jesus' death, but the universal effects of Jesus' death. Before Jesus died on the cross, the only way anyone could be made right with God was by becoming a Jew, a fully-fledged Jew. For the men, that meant getting circumcised, which isn't a pleasant experience for anyone. Uh, for everyone, it involved following their strange food laws, their strange clothing laws in the Old Testament, learning Hebrew. It was very, very, very hard to become a Jew but that was the only way that you had access to God. And because it was so hard to become a Jew, in Jesus' day, there was a huge divide between Jews 
and Gentiles. Gentiles is a Bible word for anyone who isn't a Jew. Uh, so I'm assuming that everyone in this room is racially a Gentile. We, we may have some uh, converted Jews here, maybe non-converted Jews. You're very welcome. Uh, but in the Bible, there's this massive divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews thought the Gentiles were disgusting, really. Perverse pagans who did terrible things, and many of them were. And the Gentiles thought that the Jews were arrogant, self-righteous hypocrites, and many of them were. There was a huge divide between Jew and Gentile in Jesus' day, but Jesus' death on the cross opened the way for Gentiles to have access to God, to be made right with God. And in doing so, he united Jew and Gentiles into the new people of God, this thing called the church. That's why at the start of this chapter, you might have noticed that when Jordan read it to us, there was a long list of ones. Did you notice that? Go up to verse 4. Let's count the amount of ones there are. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Two verses, seven ones. Faith in Jesus does rescue us from the punishment we deserve. It's the greatest news in the world. Faith in Jesus unites us to Jesus. And in doing so, faith in Jesus unites us with everyone else who has trusted in Jesus. Faith in Jesus unites us with everyone who has been forgiven. What that means is, is that if you're a Christian, you are united to every other Christian on earth black Christians, white Christians, Asian Christians, Indian Christians, Irish Christians, English Christians, American Christians, French Christians, Uzbekistanian Christians, all of them are united in Jesus. And they're all united in Jesus because they are all themselves united to Jesus. And as we grow together by serving each other in our attitudes and in our speech, we grow into Christ. We grow into that unity as the body of Christ. That's why Paul says we grow into him. Now, I want to make it really clear. It's not that we're not yet in Christ, that we're not yet united to Christ, and by serving and ministering, we make ourselves united to Christ. We are already united to Jesus, but we grow into it as we serve others and as others serve us. That's very complicated, and I get that. Here's not a bad way of thinking about it. Most of you, uh, I certainly do, will remember your very first day of high school. Do you remember it? We thought we were class, didn't we? Finally, we were going to the big school. We were pretty nervous, but we weren't going to show it. Our parents insisted on getting that photo of us in our new uniform, standing by the door in our shiny new blazers. What is the one thing that you can be certain of when it comes to a first year's uniform? What's the one thing you can be certain of? That it's far too big for them. 
You probably remember when you were in year 13 or 14, we called it lower sixth and upper sixth when I was in school, but I'm an old man, so maybe you don't know what that means. Do you remember being in year 13 and 14 and seeing all the little first years roll into school? You could spot them a mile off, not because they were tall, they were tiny, but because their blazers looked absolutely massive on them. Why do parents buy such large blazers for their kids? Because they'll grow into them. They're already fully-fledged members of the school. You don't become more of a member of your school the longer you're there. Once you're in, you're in. You've got the uniform. You have the right to wear that uniform. But you grow into it. If we are trusting in Christ, we are already united to each other. We are already fully-fledged members of the body of Christ, fully united to Him, fully united to each other. If you're not yet a Christian with us this evening, we're so glad you're with us. You too can be united to Christ and united to His body simply by trusting Him and join in this amazing family of serving each other, of loving each other. But if we are trusting in Christ, we're already fully united to Him, fully united to each other. But we still need to grow in maturity. We need, according to Paul, to grow into Christ. And the way that we do that, as we've seen, is as fellow ministers. We do that by ministering to each other, by serving each other. Ministry leads to maturity. And the way that we serve each other, having attitudes and actions that reflect our unity, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the bond of unity and peace, speaking to each other, speaking the truth in love to each other, increasing our knowledge in Christ as we grow into Him together. We do all this. We grow into Christ. We grow into what we already are. That, according to the Bible, is an essential mark of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that in Christ you reconciled all people to yourself. We give you great thanks that in Christ there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but we are all one in Him. Father, we pray that you would strengthen each one of us to do the work of ministry that you have called us to, to have godly, loving, humble, forgiving attitudes towards each other, to speak the truth in love to each other, to encourage each other to grow into our head, which is Christ. We give you great thanks that our salvation does not depend on our growth, that you have secured that for us in Christ on the cross. But Lord, we do pray, especially at the start of a new year, that you would strengthen and equip us to better serve each other as we grow into your Son. And we ask all of this in his name.
Amen.